0: Verse one Jesus shall raise.
1: grace and peace of Christ to be with you. Also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church and especially if you're visiting with us we're so glad that you're here today. On the inside um, next to the center aisle on each pew there is a friendship pad and we'd love it if you take it and fill it out. Let us know that you're here whether you're a regular or whether this is even your first time so and then pass it down the row so that other people can fill it out too. There's an announcement sheet that is in your bulletin. You'll notice that this afternoon at 1.30 our youth are leaving for camp at Forest Home. so I'm sure they would appreciate our prayers throughout this week. Steve has got a busy week ahead. Um, And also there is something new on the inside of the connections. We are planning a field trip to the Japanese American National Museum in Los Angeles, particularly uh, focusing on the uh, internment during World War II. That's a that is in conjunction with our reading of the book, Infamy, but you don't have to read the book in order to go on the trip. There are limited spots on our tour, so you need to sign up out on the patio today. If you'd like to be part of that, you can either ride the train or drive, and you can find out more about that out there. This evening, there is one of our uh, at-home hospitality hours at the Regal Home in Irvine, if you have not signed up for that and you would like to be there, you can sign up today on the patio. There's still room for you, and there's information in here about what to bring, because what you bring is going to be what we eat for dinner. There's also another one of those in August, and that will be at the McGill Home in Laguna, and you can sign up for that today, too. They are already taking registrations from Men's Retreat, which is just a little over two months away in October, and Tim McCalmott will be a wonderful speaker for that. You can sign up online. And we have a Red Cross blood drive in about a week and a half. There's information about that, and you can sign up to be a donor or to be somebody who is a helpful part of that out on the patio today. Lots more stuff is going on, and you can see the information there. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray. You, O Lord, are the God of all truth, and we would know more of you, of your goodness and your mercy, of your large purposes and long-term dreams. In your presence, we become aware of how little we know of ourselves, of our interests and passions, of our fears and dreads, of our own wonderments and gifts. In your truthfulness, let us know more of you, and in knowing you, ourselves as well. We pray in the name of Jesus, where we see you fully and ourselves clearly. Amen.
2: Please join me for our call to worship. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways.
0: Deal bountifully with your servant, so that I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes, so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path.
2: I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and let your ordinances help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek out your servant, for I do not forget your commandments.
0: Blessed are you, O Lord.
2: Let us stand and worship together.
0: Praise the one. Praise the one who breaks the
3: darkness with a little
0: your ways that we may walk in your truth. We fix our eyes on you. For your word, O oh Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. So Lord, hear us as we cry. Let's sing, church. Show us. Show us your
3: ways. Open our eyes to see. That we may walk with.
0: we continue in worship. Show us your ways, O Lord, that we might walk with you. The cry of my heart.
4: Scripture invites us to confess our sins. We listen to the words of Galatians 5, the words of the Apostle Paul. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want.
0: Search me, O God, and know my my heart. heart. Test Test me me and know my my thoughts. thoughts.
4: See See if if there there is is any wicked wicked way way in me. Lead me in the way way everlasting. And together, compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We condone evil, prejudice, warfare, and greed. God of grace, because you come to us in mercy, we bring you now in silence the truth about ourselves. hear the assuring words of Jeremiah the prophet. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the good news of the gospel. God is at work changing our hearts, and redeeming our ways. Amen.
3: Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise
5: him, all creatures here below. Praise him, all body and host. Praise God, and so on and, so on and so on.
1: scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 8. We have been in a long section from Romans 12.1 about responding to God's mercy. It is what they might call in seminary practical theology, how we are to live in response to God's mercy. So let's go back and pick up Romans 12.1 and remind ourselves of where we are in the context of all of that. Two weeks ago, as we were tracing through Romans 12 and Romans 13, we talked about, as a part of that response to God's mercy, love for enemies. Last week, we looked at obedience to the government, and this week, we come to love for neighbor. So Romans 13, beginning with verse 8. "Oh no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And from Matthew 22, a conversation that Jesus had with one of the Pharisees, who was a lawyer, who asked him, teacher... Which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this year, Disneyland is 60 years old. The anniversary was just, what, two weeks or so ago? I was there in one of those first years. Were you? Were you there? I was a Southern California kid. There are some things there now that weren't there back 60 years ago. you remember? It was a very much smaller park, very many fewer rides. I looked, actually, at the number of rides that they used to have that are no longer there. There are all sorts of things that I can vaguely remember from when I was about 8 years old, that they had then, but that are missing. And I, some of them I actually miss. Some of them I really can hardly remember at all. One of them that has come in since those early days is the Pinocchio ride. And, man, that is a scary ride. We, we took our 3-year-old grandchild there on Mother's Day, and, oh, man, we forgot. It is just way too scary. For pretty much anybody, much less small children. In the Disney movie, the, uh, the version of the Pinocchio story, remember, Pinocchio's a wooden marionette, and he wants to become a real boy. And so the Blue Fairy sets out to help him become a real boy. As part of that, of course, a wooden puppet doesn't have a conscience, so the Blue Fairy needs to give him one, and the Blue Fairy gives him Jiminy Cricket as his conscience and says to him, Always let your conscience be your guide. Now, one of the problems is that Jiminy, perfect, Jiminy Cricket is not a perfect conscience. He makes all, sometimes he's off doing his own thing. He's paying no attention, and poor Pinocchio gets into all sorts of trouble. Sometimes I think that the conscience was written into that movie because it was trying to teach us children in the 50s what it meant to be honest. Remember, his nose would grow if he... Uh Uh-huh, yeah, I think it was really all about that. But conscience, knowing what's right and knowing what's wrong, determining how we behave when nobody else is looking. Um, Some people call it the voice within or the inner light these days, But the the classic term for it is conscience. Plays a key role in the choices that we make, doesn't it? It Plays a key role in the character that develops in us. Since Jiminy Cricket is no longer available, how do you form a conscience? How How did your conscience get to be where it is today? When our kids are very small, we start out right away. They think that they're the whole the center of the world. In fact, they hardly realize there's anybody else in the world. And we have to do a lot of work with them to even recognize there's somebody else and then to be able to teach them to share, to be nice to other people, to take turns, all that sorts of, sort of thing. And as parents, we try to pass on other parts of our conscience <laughs> for good or for ill because ours may not be all that good. You probably have tapes that still play in your heads of what your parents tried to pass on to you about what was right and what was wrong. And some of it is very deeply in your conscience, and some of it you pitched a long time ago. And But our conscience isn't finished in childhood. We're affected all throughout life by all sorts of things, and oftentimes it's not because we're intentional about it. It's just things that happen in life, or people that we associate with our friends, the choices that they make may become part of our conscience. Our heroes, people we look up to, maybe sports figures who determine what's right or wrong, people that you listen to on the radio, maybe political things, maybe which talk radio you listen to has helped to form your conscience of what you think is right books, TVs, movies, Don Draper, Frank Underwood, they have affected many of our consciences, what we really think is right, or at least what we behave as though we think it's right. And actually, our own behavior has also affected our consciences too. Some of the more recent research in neuroscience is showing that when we repeat a behavior, it's as though it creates information pathways in our brain. And each time we repeat that behavior, the pathway becomes a little more set. I don't want to say deeper. I'm not sure that that's the right term. But it's more established. So, for instance, if you cheat on your taxes, the next time it's going to be even easier to cheat on something or someone because that path is already in there. And the more that you do it, the easier it is going to become or if you're generous to somebody, the more that you do it, the more it not only becomes a pathway in your brain, but the more it becomes part of your conscience, part of what you think is the right thing to do because after all, you've seen yourself do it so very often. So the more you do something, the more it begins to feel natural and it begins to feel right to you. So all of our consciences are formed for good or for ill by all of those things that have come to feel right. Everybody's conscience is also marred by human sin. Just as We are just as likely in our conscience to be self-serving as we are to be God-serving or other people-serving. Bill Cosby is only the latest public face on how easy it is to fool ourselves, to talk ourselves into thinking that what we want is what is right. So if we take the Blue Fairy's advice to Pinocchio and always let our conscience be our guide, we could be in a big trouble. Some of us have rules that are so deeply ingrained within us and in our conscience that we spend our life towing the mark. We are absolutely obsessive about keeping rules. Now, we're usually pretty selective about which rules we're going to be that way about. For some of us, It's something minor, like punctuality or cleanliness, and it rules life. Sometimes it's an aspect of Scripture. Some of us are scrupulous. We are positively rigid about keeping that particular rule. And we come very close to the self-righteous attitude that Jesus criticized in the Pharisees who just kept the law to a fault. You know people like that, don't you? Maybe you see bits of it in yourself. Because if the rules are taken as the main thing, then the real main thing may often be missed. When we were flying home from our trip to Israel, hmm, must have been 08, um, Jerry's trip to Israel, it was a very long flight, and it was nighttime, and they darkened the cabin, and most people were trying to sleep and there were on the plane a number of orthodox Jews who had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or perhaps they lived in Jerusalem and were coming to the states the, the plane was quite full of people who were ultra orthodox Jews and many of them were dressed in a way that you could tell that and many of those people were trying to be ex- very observant of God's law as they understood it in what they ate on the plane and That sort of thing, uh, some of them men, refusing to sit by a woman who was not their wife, that was a bit of a hassle. And one of the things that was going on in the middle of the night is apparently there are set hours of prayer for Orthodox Jews in the middle of the night. Um, I'm not sure which night they were following, whether it was Israel night or American night, but it was dark, so they were doing it. Now, most of the people who were doing this were very inconspicuous. There was a spot in the back of the plane sort of where the attendants were, where most of them were quietly getting up and they were praying back in the back of the plane. However, the man who sat across the aisle from me <clears throat> it, several times during the night, I, I do believe there must have been about 10 hours of prayer in the night, would get up each time and would open his up, the above cabinet He would pull out his great big suitcase and he would get from it various pieces of his prayer garments that he needed to put on. He would put them on slowly and loudly. And then he would make his way back to the back of the plane and do whatever everybody else was doing. And then, of course, he would come back and do all that again and put it back up. We went through that several times during the night. So he was very observant to the law. But he sure was not observant to the people around him, was he? And many of us did not get much sleep that night. A friend of mine this week sent me a study from the Harvard Business Review that is about a health care group in southern Michigan called Lakeland Health. And it is an area that is fairly depressed. Economically, the the median income is about 70% of the national income. And there's a lot of chronic disease there. Um, it is a very challenging area to be a health care provider. But overall, their patient satisfaction was rated as only 25 to 50 percentile. Now, that's even though they seemed to be doing everything right. They were meeting all of the benchmarks for all of the ways that normally that is measured. So whoever was filling out these surveys seemed to rate them very high on the standard things like uh, response to lights, pain management, communication, those things they were getting very high ratings, but then in the bottom overall rating, they got these really low ratings. It just didn't seem that what they were doing right was making the patients feel satisfied. So it seemed that a mere rule-keeping mentality, doing it right, was not all that it was taking to reach these patients. So they tried an experiment, which they called Bring Your Heart to Work. For 90 days, they were trying to raise their, their uh, rate up to 90th percentile for, of excellence. Then they decided that they would raise the, heart, raise the rate by trying to touch the hearts of people while they were doing things right. And They just did one little thing. That was that each time that they made a contact with a the patient, they were to say to the patient their name, that they were to say why they were there and that then to explain that as an outcome that in some way would connect with something that the patient cared about. For example, I'm Tony, and I'm here to change your dressings because we want you to be able to get out of here in time to go to your granddaughter's wedding. So the why needed to be stated in a way that connected with what people were afraid of or what people hoped for. In 90 days, there were more than 6,000 stories of employees that did this. And when they rated the satisfaction of the patients at the end of those 90 days, it had gone up to the 95th percentile. It seemed that people needed the, the caregivers not only to do what was right, but to do it in a way that showed how much they cared for them. Both Jesus and Paul refused to pit the law doing what's right and love against one another. Neither one of them said, oh, you just throw out the law now. Don't worry, that's not part of your life anymore. Just do whatever seems right to you. In practical theology, it's what Calvin called the third use of the law. Now, we've talked about that before. It comes up a lot in this section that we're looking at in Romans. It's That we obey God, what God has said in his law, not in order to earn something from God, not in order to earn God's mercy, but in gratitude because God has been merciful to us. His law shows us what pleases him, and we want to please him. See, we obey him out of gratitude, and because we love him. We're made right in Jesus Christ, not because we obey the law, but because of his grace. Jesus himself kept the law perfectly, but it wasn't just about the law, was he? He taught that God's law flows out of those two great commandments, flows out of love, love for God and love for other people. He gave us that larger framework of love in which to see the way that we behave. Love that's not just a feeling, but love that's an action that seeks the best for other people, even when I don't feel like it. That's why he was able to say that love fulfills the law, because if you love your neighbor, you'll be delighted that he has plenty to live on, that he has a nice house. You won't covet it. You'll just be glad for him. You won't try to steal what he has. You won't try to steal his stuff, or you won't try to steal what he has by committing adultery against him. You won't want his ruin, You won't want to murder or hurt him because of the overall love. So you will be keeping God's law because of the love that you have for him. That sort of behavior that God's law pointed to was not just about that kind of rule-keeping bean counting, was it? The more we practice that kind of love, the more natural it feels, just like those neuroscientists are finding. The more we internalize it, and it becomes part of who we are. So the Holy Spirit is at work forming our consciences. You could say to give us the mind of Christ, to actually change the way we think about things by writing his law and his love upon our hearts and upon our minds so that we know very deeply, as a part of us, what is right and what pleases him. One of the greatest theologians and ethicists of the 20th century was John Howard Yoder, a Mennonite. Many of his books are still in print, and I have one of them on my shelf. It is his most famous book, The Politics of Jesus, which was printed in seventy-two and which Christianity today called one of the ten most outstanding books of the 20th century. Yoder was one of the most influential shapers of ethics of Christian pacifism and nonviolence. He was considered to be a superstar at the Mennonite Seminary where he taught in Indiana. He taught there for 24 years, and he was respected and admired throughout the Christian world. It has just been in the last few years that the truth has come out that while Yoder was teaching and talking about his ethics and about peace, he was also trying to develop a new sexual ethic. And he was doing so by research because he was abusing sexually over 100 women. Many of them were students. Now, what do you do with that? A man whose conscience has been so formed by studying the Word of God, by spending his days teaching it. But there's always that part in us, isn't there, that wants to redefine it so that what I want sounds more right than it really is. None of us is above it, are we? We all have our ways that we make it sound right to ourselves. And you know there's more to character than just conscience, just knowing what's right. Because the trouble is that even if our conscience is very well developed on our own, we're just not able to live that way. It isn't that we don't know what's right. we got all the right information. It's just that we can't manage to do it. Luther said that the core problem is that we are bent in on ourselves. not a whole lot different than our toddlers are. Not only our conscience, but also our will. What we need is for God's Spirit to bend us out towards other people in our conscience, in our will, in the things that we actually do, so that we will want to love, and so that the Spirit will also empower us to love in His way. That kind of moral development doesn't just happen, does it? It's what our lives are about from the time we come to know Jesus Christ, a long process of him changing us and forming us. And each time that his spirit enables us to love in his ways, the path of that habit, if the neuroscientists are right, becomes deeper in our minds and in our hearts, in our consciences, and in our wills, and we begin more and more and more to behave in his way. It's a long process over time, little bit by little bit. We're all still in the midst of of it. Nobody ever completely gets there. But it's the great adventure that he is about within us, growing us up, in jesus christ to be people who love like he loved let's pray oh lord you watch our ways you know the contours of our minds and hearts and consciences and wills the patterns of thought and behavior that over the years have become deeply embedded in us for good or for ill Because you are a God of mercy, we open the deep places of our lives to you, asking you to reshape us, to form your character in us, to grow us into people who love you with all that we are and who love others as you love.
3: church to hunger for
0: with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me and Christ in me, Christ beneath me and Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down and Christ when I rise up, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of all creation. So, church, let us stand and sing the doxology, giving glory to God.
2: Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We rejoice this morning in the gift of life, which we've received by your forgiveness and grace, and the new life you give us in Jesus Christ. We pray this morning for the over 70 students and leaders going to Forest Home this week leaving in just a few short hours. May you prepare their hearts and minds to hear your word, grow in trust to build friendships, and to thoroughly enjoy the week. Especially bless our leadership team with good health, endurance, and hope as they encourage each student along in life and faith. We now place this offering before you and ask that you will bless it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
1: Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. It is a place where we come with all our inconsistencies, with all of our failings, a place where we bring our own brokenness and where God gives us his mercy. It is a place where we taste his mercy and his love for us in Jesus Christ. So it is a place where we celebrate and it is a place where he feeds us and makes us again whole and gives us strength for the journey to follow him. Let us give thanks.
4: Father God, you created us in your own image. You made promises to our our fathers and mothers, Abraham and Sarah, the whole family of Israel. You entered into covenant relationship with your people, even when they were broken and in great need of of forgiveness and grace. You heard their cries in Egypt, and you sent Moses to deliver. And so with many signs and wonders, you brought them into the promised land. You settled them in the land. You spoke to them through prophets. You called them to be your faithful people. They passed on to us your law, They sought to discern your way. And in the process, his Lord discovered over and over again that they needed new hearts, that they needed the power of the Holy Spirit within them. And so you sent your Son and formed a new covenant with your people and with the whole world. He laid down his life upon the cross, he sacrificed himself. He made atonement for our sins. In his own brokenness, he bore our sins and reconciled us to you and to one another. You poured out your Holy Spirit upon your people, which means that you gave to us your very self to empower our obedience to you, to enable us to live the law of Christ, the law of love, As we come to your table this morning, our hearts are filled with thanksgiving for who you are and for what you have done in Jesus and for the presence of his Spirit that we feel in our hearts here this morning. As we listen to your word, as we come to your table, may the word become visible to us. Strengthen us and nurture us as we come in humility, aware of our own need, heal our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver, but deliver us, us from, evil. from evil.
1: For thine, and thine is, is the kingdom, kingdom and the power and the, power, and the glory, glory forever. forever. Amen. Amen.
2: The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body given for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me.
1: And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood. Do this, remembering me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the Lord's death until he comes. As we come to celebrate at his table, the ushers will bring us down the center aisle a row at a time. Take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, and you can return back to your seats by the side aisles. Let us worship God. The elders come.
3: All these pieces broken and scattered in mercy gathered, mended and hold Empty handed, but not for I've been said. We yeah.
4: For you, Richard. Love of Christ for you, brother. Love of Christ for you, brother. Take
3: our faith. Was grace that?
1: today, think about what it is that is forming your conscience. For that matter, what does your conscience say is right and is wrong, and where did you get it? And do you live according to it? How can God's grace change that into his ways? And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit Be with us all.